0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers.
1: Hello, my name's Adam Smith. Welcome to the second of our podcast recordings for the NIHR Dementia Research website, uh, on location from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in Chicago. For those that didn't yet listen to day one, this week we'll be recording a podcast at the end of each day reflecting on what we've discovered at the AIC over the course of that day and sharing with those early career researchers who haven't managed to make it out to Chicago. I'm really grateful to to today's panellists who have once again skipped the last session of the the conference to talk with us. Firstly, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Nika Shablova who's a PhD student at the Karolinska, Karolinska Institute in Sweden. Next, we've got Sarah Gregory, a research coordinator for the Prevent and EPAD studies at the University of Edinburgh. And last but not least, we have Vana a PhD student working on neurocognitive assessments uh, at University College London. Uh, So let's get started by finding out a little bit more about our panel. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Nika?
2: Hi everyone, I'm Nika. And I originally come from Czech Republic and currently I am doing a PhD in Sweden at Karolinska Institute, at the Aging Research Institute and Department of Public Health Sciences. And I'm in my last half year of PhD trying to wrap up. Um, So to relax I do a lot of hiking and outdoor activities and kayaking, which is really nice to find some break from all the hard work.
1: Yeah, you're last year, so you're nearly (laughs) nearly there. Do you know what you're doing next?
2: I have no idea. I'm trying to figure it out. One
1: day. Well, I'd like to think that our website might have a few suggestions. So do. <laughs> Great. I'll check it out. Uh, how about you, Sarah? Please go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Yep. Hi, I'm Sarah. I work in the Centre for Dementia Prevention at the University of Edinburgh. And I coordinate a few studies. But the main studies I work on are the EPAD and Prevent programmes. And these are big cohort programmes looking at midlife risk for dementia um, and running intervention um, trials within the EPAD cohort as well. Um, I've previously worked on lots of different clinical trials of medications down in London and moved up to Edinburgh about a year ago.
1: Fantastic. Should I, uh, I don't know if the, we have to kind of uh, fess up to this as well, but I'm a participant in Prevent. Yes. But I, Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say that because that gives me away my age because you <laughs> have to be over 40 to be a participant in Prevent, I, I believe. Yes, you do. So, yes, I can I can say it's a fantastic study. It I've is. enjoyed being a part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy the annual, the biannual phone calls to say that my cholesterol is too high. Yeah, everyone um, gets them. But, it's, <laughs> it's really, but it is quite useful. Um, and Iv- Ivana?
3: Yes, hello, everyone. My name is Ivana. I am a first-year PhD student at University College of London, and I am trying to study the potential use of neurocognitive tests um, to detect early onset Alzheimer's and other AD pathologies. Um, I'm also a part-time research assistant, and I do um, assessments for other studies um, and other dementia syndromes. And I guess a fun fact about myself is that I have a dog named Sherlock. Sherlock? What (laughs) what kind kind of dog is it? (laughs) It's a mountain dog.
1: A mountain dog?
3: A Bernese mountain dog. A
1: Bernese mountain dog they aren't they the real are they really fluffy
3: yes they're very big <laughs> and fluffy yes, and you fluffy. can't
1: be enjoying the weather back in the uk right now i gather that there's you know. a massive heat wave today yeah
3: <laughs> yes
1: well um thank you very much everybody for introducing yourselves and um, before we move into talking about what we've learned today i uh, ivana and nika i believe you're also both presenting and you've Managed to I imagine you're both relaxing today because you've managed to finish your presentations yesterday and today So uh, Nico, maybe you could tell us what, what have you been presenting on while you've been here? Yeah um,
2: um, Of course I can tell you so my entire PhD is on um, causal effect of education on lifelong cognitive ability and dementia and Today I have been presenting the last project from my PhD. Actually sorry yesterday. I'm um, jet-lagged I have no idea what it is. So yesterday I presented and it was an oral presentation and I've been looking at dementia uh, incidence trends in the inpatient record data in Sweden. So I have a national population and I was able to look at 30-year trends and I looked at two factors. How does this differ by sex and education? And we were able to show that up to to year 2011, there has been an increase for all ages, and for both sexes and for education levels. And after 2011, the dementia incidence uh, in the hospital records started to decrease which is uh, quite good news in some way so that has uh, been my presentation.
1: And that, well that's really interesting because we were just talking about that on for those haven't yest- uh, listened, we were talking about that on yesterday's podcast because I think I can't remember one of the panelists was a bit skeptical about incidence rates dropping and I referred to I can't remember who it was I, I can't the presentation the year before from um, they use the example of a bathtub with the yes tap going the prevalence in and incidence and, and yeah, I think that exactly. is
2: really important to know uh, because even in my case I'm looking at first-time cases so uh, my conclusions are that the hospitals might see fewer first-time cases which doesn't mean that they will see fewer dementia cases overall because the population is aging, and there are more people, the number of older adults is increasing. But the, there has been an entire session on it yesterday, and close to everyone has been seeing these decreases in smaller cohort studies, and my study is one of the first ones to look at it in national sample in real-world data, Fantastic. so that has been my Fantastic. contribution
1: really exciting and I I guess as well because we know that people are living with dementia for longer partly because of the early diagnosis but also changes that they make to their lives of course the overall the overall prevalence doesn't come down it's just the yeah. yeah
2: there we probably will see a lot of people but it's good to know also for healthcare services to be able to plan so yeah
1: so we can't all give up. This isn't all. No, just gonna make I specifics. think there are
2: good things and some positive messages, even if we don't have cure or treatment. And sometimes we should take a moment and think about what is good and a lot of the good work that's being done here and presented.
1: And that's really interesting because I think we're going to go on to talk in a little while in a little while about the um, the the risk factors and some uh, presentation from earlier on today about what you might change. Um, Ivana, you've you've also you've had two.
3: Yes, I've had two posters. Um, My poster today, um, I presented some work that I did with an eye tracker. So it's a machine that you're able to follow the person's eye movements, and it gives quite a lot of information about um, the brain and um, cognitive function. So um, we presented this task, which was a spatial anticipation task. Basically, the person was looking at a screen and they had to anticipate the movement of a dot. And um, it relates to cognitive, um, excuse me, to executive function, um, which is known to be impaired in behavioral FTD patients. So um, we presented that work, including other um, dementia symptoms from the frontotemporal dementia um, umbrella term, and we showed that behavioral FTD patients performed worse at the task. And it was quite nice because it's, it's quite a short task, um, um, and we did so. Quite some good sensitivity, so it's just a computer task.
1: No, that, well, that's really interesting as well. Was that was was that the topic for both, or is that?
3: No, that was the topic for today's. Um, the topic for yesterday's, um, as part of my PhD, I'm looking at. Um, again, cognitive assessments, but for the familial AD cohort um, at the Dementia Research Center. And we're looking into um, visual short-term memory, which we know is impaired in AD and in familial cases as well. And we presented some longitudinal work on, on that. So again, it was a computer task, and people had to remember um, the identity and the location of specific items on the screen. And we looked at how that differed between um, gene carriers and non-carriers who are asymptomatic Um, and unfortunately we didn't see any change longitudinally any difference between the two longitudinally Um, but we did see a difference between symptomatic gene carriers and controls and also quite a strong um, correlation between the performance of this task and the age at which individuals tend to present symptoms Um, because we know that in these in this specific um, rare form of alzheimer's the age of onset is quite similar within a family yeah so yeah some mixed results some exciting um
1: and does that i guess there must be so many new ideas come out of that as to what what to do next
3: yeah definitely um i think the properties of certain tests um are good for cross-sectional studies and not so good for longitudinal ones so I think in terms of the properties of, of the tests, um, that's something to look into and probably combine different techniques as well. Um, yeah.
1: That's really interesting. And I guess you must, do you have to work with engineers and tech people and all yeah. those kind of groups of people for that kind of work?
3: Yeah, definitely. Yes.
1: And, and of course, I not, I'm not i not biased because I also work at UCL, but mm. UCL is a great place for yes. that. They, they really it's is a, a real sense of collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so um, just before we move on, I'm sure that some people might be really interested in getting in touch and learning more. Um, Obviously, I think some of your posters might already be uploaded to the AIC app. But um, maybe if you could give us your Twitter names, maybe, and then people can get in touch if they want to. Uh, Nika, you're on Twitter, right?
2: Yes, I'm on Twitter. That's how I ended up being on this podcast, by contacting you. So my Twitter handle is... Nika Seblova, spelled S-E-B-L-O-V-A. And yeah, that's a good way to contact me or find my email by searching for Dominika, full name, Seblova.
1: Fantastic. And yours was was yours an oral today? or a uh,
2: It was an oral presentation yesterday,
1: yes. Oh, yesterday, of course. So there isn't a picture of you next to your poster on the... <laughs> there isn't one, <laughs> on the unfortunately.
2: Twitter. But if anybody is interested in learning more, I uh, do have all of my slides in a PDF and I'll be more than happy to share them. And I also uh, have already a manuscript that's now under revision. So that will be hopefully coming out soon. So that I will oh, be wow. happy to share everything That's with people who want to know really more. cool
1: thank you very much and uh, ivana
3: yes my twitter is ivi underscore p-a-v-i-s-i-c and you can also find me um just googling my name and ucl
1: and and there are pictures of you next to your poster <laughs> or in Unfortunately,
2: your yes. yeah oh, nice well done <laughs>
1: uh, yeah
2: where they screened on the big uh twitter i hope not uh, so. oh yeah information <laughs> center it's a bit weird when <laughs> you see your face <laughs> enlarged. On it.
1: For those that haven't been to an AIC before or for those that have I'm sure you've seen these at conferences, they have the Twitter wall outside the main reception where there's a feed of everybody that's used hashtag AAIC 18 mm-hmm. and suddenly you can be walking past and see your your face blown up to to the size of a wall.
2: Yes, it happened to me. I took a selfie before my presentation (laughs) and now I have seen it repeatedly blown up and people pointing it out to me.
1: I I saw mine, but by the time I got my phone out, it moves on. They're only on there for a few seconds, aren't they? Okay, so moving on. So today was the second day. It's been another jam-packed day and I don't think too many people seem to have suffered with sore heads after last night's fantastic Uh, welcome reception at the Navy Pier. I did enjoy the, the drinks, and the band were really exciting as well. I didn't get my picture taken on the surfboard, did any of you? No. 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 You didn't do the surfboard.
3: (laughs) I think I enjoyed looking at that situation by not being part of it. More of a (laughs) watcher.
1: Did anybody see the ferris wheel turn purple? I missed that. Yes,
3: I I saw the. I went on the ferris wheel. Oh
1: really?
2: Yeah. When I was walking back, I would never been on the ferris wheel, and I saw it being purple. So yeah, I went. You're not afraid
1: of heights, then? I love heights. So, well, it, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm planning to go back when I've got a little bit more time, but I ended up chatting to so many people that by, I was just tired by the quarter past nine. felt early thinking, well, no, I could do another hour, and I really couldn't by the end of that. Um, so did you, uh, did you enjoy the famous Chicago pizza? I think I you've got some strong feelings on this, Ivana. Well,
3: I am half Italian, so I don't think that should be called pizza, but it was still very tasty, <laughs> so if we just remove the word pizza, that's fine. <laughs>
1: I I stopped eating meat about a year ago, and that's been a bit of a struggle so far. Mm -hmm. Everywhere (laughs) is quite meaty. I I think I might have struggled if I'd have been a vegan last night, but Mm -hmm. uh, there were vegetarian options. It was good. What about you, Nika? Did you have the...
2: No, there were too many things to do, too many people to see get music to dance to so no I ate ice cream for dinner very healthy um, so, so no pizza I, for me oh no.
1: <laughs> and, and I'm, th- I'm not deliberately excluding Sarah at this point because <laughs> I realise that I've been bouncing backwards and forwards between uh, Nika and Ivana but of course Sarah you've already told me in advance you didn't manage to make it last night I
0: didn't make it last night no but I am going to have a pizza pie before I go home you are and what I definitely am what you have
1: to so uh, just to put you on the spot what did you do last night that was far more fun than going to the <laughs> welcome evening?
0: Uh, we we had an EPAD dinner um, at a Mediterranean restaurant. <laughs> that sounds quite what civilised. What is EPAD again? So it's a European Prevention of Alzheimer's Dementia Consortium, oh. so we are preparing for what we're doing. So you've
1: got the collaborators conference. all <laughs> over, I'm going to say Europe, but is that across yeah. the world now?
0: It's all over Europe, but collaborating with um, other groups across the world as well.
1: Okay, so yeah. the AIC is a great opportunity to just, everybody's in one place yeah. and you can <clears throat> okay that's a good that's a good reason
2: so while we were playing you were actually working so (laughs) there was both play hard and
1: work hard last night (laughs) Okay so before we get into talking about today's talks I should confess I haven't had a lot of time to take on board uh, many of the talks today. Uh, Dementia Researcher has an exib- uh, a booth here at the exhibition hall and I've an- had a really great time talking to lots of people about the Dementia Researcher website. There's been so much interest particularly from my student volunteers but also uh, people from overseas asking if it's got things and content relevant to them and i i really think probably only about 20 percent of the contents uk specific the kind of jobs and funding but even those i think if you're in the us and you're thinking that the uk is a great place to consider i think the jobs events and funding are still relevant to to you i did have a particularly interesting chat with uh, sharon salt and lauren pulling who both uh, work and manage the neurocentral uh, online journal, I don't know if any of you have seen that, they're quite active on Twitter as well um, uh, I think that's a journal looking at bridging the gap between neurology and neuroscience and the potential, we had a chat about the potential for us to collaborate on some content there about r- guidance on how you might get your journal published uh, your articles published and things so watch this space and um, I'll, hopefully that, that'll turn into something in the future so yeah um, today's talks there have been so many haven't there it's been such a
2: very busy day again yeah.
1: and, and I know that some of you have obviously had the stresses of trying to deal with your own talk. you had flight problems and <laughs> And uh, hangovers aside, uh, taking on board today's talks mm. has been so much to do. Nobody had hangovers. No, no? nobody
2: ever gets hangovers. Well, so. We're
1: all professionals here. So first of all, let's talk about... There was a session on multimodal strategies for dementia prevention and aging brain and the risk of Alzheimer's disease. I know uh, from our conversation before, Ivana, you managed to get along to that talk, which was one of the big the big talks of the day. What, What did you... What did you think? What did you hear?
3: Yes, well, I had uh, the opportunity to listen to Mia. Um, I'm going to pronounce her surname wrong. Pelto, I can Thank help you. you with that.
2: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Because <laughs> you, you work in Mia's... Uh,
3: yes, so Mia Pelto is at the same
2: institute as I am at the Aging Research Center in Sweden, but she works internationally also in Finland and all over. But I missed her talk today, so I'm interested to hear what Ivana has to say about it.
3: Yeah. Um, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not as familiar with her work um, because back at UCL we, we mainly work on diagnosis and cognitive assessments, but it was actually very interesting to listen to um, all the, the studies on um, how nutrition, exercise, and cognitive training can have an impact on um, just cog- cognition in general. Um, and then there, were al- there was also a mention of. Um, the effect of APOE4, Um, so it was quite an interesting talk. It was um, very nice for me to listen to this side of research as well that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, And then they mentioned as well um, that the next steps, or maybe it has already started, um, is to move on to a worldwide fingers program, so they are expanding into new sites, um, and it all sounds very exciting and definitely relevant.
1: Um. And was that... So something that's been... I, I have been following social media today mm-hmm. and something that was much tweeted about was, a, I don't know if it was a, the that 30% of Alzheimer's cases could be prevented by addressing a limited number of factors. Um, I, I mean, I, I think we kind of knew some of this before, but the diabetes, depression, hypertension, smoking, obesity, low education and lack of physical activity. Um, I know... These, as a participant Mm -hmm. of Prevent, I know that these are all things that you look at in that study too. Is uh, is that how do you do you track some of those things?
0: Yep. So we are Prevent at the moment is taking baseline and two year follow up um, visits, and we collect data on all of those alongside multiple other um, cognitive measures, MRI measures, physical health, Um, and we're planning to continue those um, follow up assessments for a longer period of time as well. So we do hope that we will have a really good measure from people who are aged 40 um, up throughout the, their lives to see if it does have an impact on dementia risk. And we measure a few of those um, within EPAD as well. So that's people who are age 50 and above. And we're taking a lot of those measures for that as well to see what are the risk factors um, that could potentially be modifiable.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's interesting. But I suppose it's, how I mean, how long is that going to take before we can mm-hmm. get that... Is that going to be a long way off? Or when when do you think you'll start to see?
0: That's probably a question for the statisticians. <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs>
1: no, good point. <laughs> okay, um, let's let's move on and talk about, never mind the main sessions, what's interested you today? So, uh, Nika, what what did you manage to get along to see today? What presentations or posters have you seen today?
2: So I've managed to go to a few presentations and posters, and I realized that there is a team to what I have liked today. So I'll do my disclosures Mm -hmm. uh, of interest. I'm really interested in health inequalities and disparities in healthcare. And so one of the main sessions I went to was the NIA Health Disparities Research Network, and they were presenting on novel approaches for addressing Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. So there were a few presentations that were really fascinating, and overall the whole concept of bringing dementia research for everyone and including all populations because it is something that we need to do and also improve our research to include all populations Um, so one of the studies looked at algorithmic dementia diagnosis and health disparities so basically how we can uh, assign dementia diagnosis in different research studies because a lot of the times we don't have the data um, to know if they do have or do not have dementia but uh, if we use other factors and cognitive tests, we can maybe assign it and then study this as a proxy for dementia as the first step on existing databases and get some information on um, on uh, minorities. So that was really interesting. But there is a... Uh, I mean, it was also very interesting because it's using complicated modeling and predictive modeling. And one of the big issues with the predictive modeling, which I think is now super sexy, uh, is that it uses the data that we already have. So um, the presenter, Melinda Power from George Washington University, she also talked about that We need to be really careful uh, what we put into these models. So that was one interesting talk um, that I seen today. Um, Yeah, and then there was another very exciting poster I would like to point out to everyone. It's been um, titled feels like it's for us, uh, and it's for us. And it was about minority um, retention in a retention project in a research study. So it is a little study in Portland, and they were trying to design a physical activity. We just heard from Sarah, it's really important, and from uh, Ivana, also from Finger Trial. So they designed a little physical uh, program where they got three African-American adults um, older adults to walk through neighborhoods at least a mile and then together record a history and how has the neighborhood been changing over time so there's a social component recalling a cognitive component and also a physical one and then um, in this program it was a six months program so they do these folks repeatedly and uh, this research study they have been following um, how many people stayed in this study because dropouts are a lot bigger in African-Americans in the United States. And they have really focused on creating an environment and a research project that is targeted to African-Americans so we can learn more how to be culturally appropriate and involve everyone. So that was very exciting. The project was presented by Adeline Francis from um, Leighton Aging and uh, Disease Center, I think. You can look her up. That was
1: in Portland. Did you say Portland? No,
2: or, uh, Portland, Oregon.
1: Uh, yeah, Portland in Oregon.
2: Mm. So yeah, those were the two talks that caught my eye today.
1: That's that, well. That's both really fascinating as well. I think particularly the kind of look at those other communities. What, did did any of you pick up on those as well? No. I didn't
0: get to either of those, but they both sound really interesting. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think it might be a bit of my bias coming here. <laughs>
1: no, not at all. And is there, some, is so was there something from, from that to take away for your own work as well?
2: Well, yes, actually, because I look at socioeconomic inequalities and education. Those are my main focus. So I thought a lot about we do not have the same uh, maybe racial and ethnic disparities in Sweden, but a lot of this could probably be expanded to inclusion of lower educated individuals and people from disadvantaged economic backgrounds. And so I've been thinking a lot about how I could use my data. Let's say look at quality of care among those individuals or retainment in studies. So, yes.
1: So, when you were looking for ideas for your postdoc early, because you weren't sure what to do next, that's. <laughs> yeah,
2: I've been actually <laughs> scooping for ideas at this uh, conference. So I'm really excited to go home and well, take some time to think, no, sketch no, out my applications. Huh?
1: There's no shortage of ideas. Sarah, how yes. about you?
0: Um, so mine, unsurprisingly, were about risk factors and prevention. Um, so the first talk that um, I really loved this morning was um, about TV and um the association with brain volume. Um, So as a serial Netflix binger, I thought it was important that I went to this to see if watching that much TV is dangerous. Um, And it was really interesting. They used TV as a proxy of sedentary behavior, as something that is um, not that cognitively engaging, that you're typically passively watching it. So you're not being physically active, and you're probably not being that cognitively active as well. And it was in the CARDIA study in the US, um, and it was comparing um, self reported hours of TV watched every week with outcomes of um, volumetric MRI analysis. Um, and they found that for each hour that someone reported they watched. TV, there was a significant decrease in total brain volume, total grey matter, and frontal grey matter. Oh, God, um, really? Yep. Oh, that's really which depressing.
1: Is, and the chances Concerning. are people probably didn't underreported their them watching Tara. No, yeah, that, right? people
0: probably... Because
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to confess to having no. watched that much TV.
0: I think the mean was about 2.6 hours a day, which uh. is probably... Not that unu- two hours a day, not that unusual, maybe. No, no, yeah. if no, you go no. home
1: and turn the TV on after yeah. dinner, then it's on till bedtime. I mean, exactly. Of course, we all read books, right? Here, none of us. Oh, <laughs> no,
2: we <laughs> never watch TV. <laughs> and Netflix doesn't count, right? <laughs> if it's on my computer, it doesn't count. Yeah, it's it's only, on only like, TV. actual TV.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's bad.
0: Yeah, and they controlled using um, additional models controlling for cardiovascular and physical activity, and the total grey matter and frontal grey matter decreases still existed. Um, So their their hypothesis from this was that it could be a link with cognitive reserve. So rather than being associated with being physically inactive and watching TV, that maybe it's that you're not being mentally active. Um, And they'd be interested to look in future to see if there's particular TV types of TV shows that could be more protective. You know, if you're watching a documentary where you're learning something, is that slightly different to... that like it could offset. Like you can watch
1: telly as long as it's good telly. If it's
0: good TV, Uh, (laughs) isn't that what
1: we've been saying to children for years? Like you can't watch Scooby Doo, but you can. You can watch yeah, m- and they uh, reference, Blue Peter. They
0: reference <laughs> that. that With children, there is research in this already, that there is good and bad TV. And I think they wanted to uh, kind of adapt it even to computer games. You're sitting with a computer game, but some of them probably are better for you than others. So I thought that was really interesting. You can work.
1: imagine, can't you? Well, like a little rating scale. You know, you get age age yep. appropriateness, like <laughs> cognition scale for television. Yep. That my my <laughs> boss, uh, uh, Professor Martin Rosser at UCL, has got the whole work on cognitive footprint. Mm-hmm. And I can yeah. really imagine that being a measure in, in cognitive yeah. footprint I'll, I'll put that to you sorry <laughs> no Niki, that's really a
2: fascinating I yeah I was thinking uh, I just said. a research question about <laughs> what type of a study was it was it a cross-sectional or longitudinal study that they were presenting
0: it was longitudinal so they had mm. the data from 25 years and okay. they had f- uh, at 5 10 15 20 and 25 and was there any like trend TV.
2: over the time because it's also like the longer you do it the worse it is yeah, oh, yeah. It,
0: they th- basically averaged it out over the okay. time point so it's an average so um yeah we didn't know if it had suddenly increased over time or if there was a particular a danger time for watching TV. Yeah, like sensitive period. like, it's
2: okay if you have a really demanding job and then you just turn it on after dinner because you do still your cognitive stimulation. So that might be the low cognitive TV in your 20s is okay but but in your 30s is bad. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, okay.
0: I just think as much, Mm, we all kind of use screens constantly now and there's Netflix and all of these streaming channels it's an interesting area to look at for the future is it helpful is it harmful mm-hmm. does it do neither so yeah that was really interesting for me today um, cool. well and is
1: there also ai f- oh, don't know maybe i'm just thinking on my feet here, but things like flicker and the quality of the screen as well and yeah, those. Possibly. that's probably one for y- for your work <laughs> actually ivana
3: um yeah probably i
0: mean it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Um, was,
1: sorry, was there anything else Sarah? Was there? A, did you want it to pick up on anything particularly else?
0: Um, so the only other one that I was really interested in today was um, a talk about using screening programmes for dementia um, and whether well, there's no real evidence that's existed so far. So there was um, the IU Choice study, um, which was a randomised controlled trial in primary care and they took participants who were 65, no cognitive impairment, um, listed in their medical notes and community dwelling, um, and randomised to no screening or screening um, to see if they actually had any effect on quality of life as a benefit or on mood as a harm or on resource use and care planning. Um, And they actually found that there was no effect on anything. So the screening programme didn't cause any harm, but it also didn't seem to provide any benefit on either quality of life or resource use. Um, and it was a randomised trial of 4,000 participants. Guess, so it was I relatively sizable. Yeah, that's a good size. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting that I know we get popping up in the news in the UK, well, maybe we'll launch screening programmes. But um, yeah, from this, this first trial, there was no real evidence for or against starting so something.
2: How did they define harm? Because like, could it lead to higher stigmatisation or? On daughters,
0: so. yeah. Yeah, so harm they were doing via depression and anxiety. Okay. So they had two measures there. Cool.
1: Yeah. I, I didn't catch. Did you say who did those talks? Do you? Did you uh, so it, it was
0: Nicole Fowler and it was the IU Choice Study.
1: Okay. And what was the TV one?
0: Uh, Tina Huang. Okay. And it's on the Cardia Study.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's one I think we should all probably go away and have a look yes. at. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I- Ivana.
3: Yes, I actually quite enjoyed the aging brain and the risk for AD, so it was the plenary session. Um, and they talked a bit about cognition and why it's important. We often talk a lot about biomarkers and CSF and things like that, which are definitely um, important, but um, she mentioned, so Denise Park, I believe, um, mentioned that cognition is important because it represents our ability to function every day, and it's what really matters to an individual. Um, And then she also mentioned um, amyloid deposition and how that's one of the earliest markers of AD and how APOE4 or, um, enhances aggregation of amyloids and therefore increases deposition. So that was quite um, an inspiring talk. Um, and lastly, she also mentioned the importance of considering um, amyloid as a continuous measure. So we often have this cutoff score of the person being amyloid positive and amyloid negative, and there are certain people that are at the cutoff. Um, and it's quite important for an individual to know exactly how far away they are from that cutoff. So I thought that was really good. Um, and then in terms of posters, I enjoyed the variety of it, actually. There was a lot of um, variety in the techniques, so a lot of machine learning, data-driven approaches. Um, and then quite a lot on biomarkers, CSF, blood-based imaging, Um which I think means that we should probably collaborate more on what we do and and maybe use a combination of different techniques rather than just one. Um, So yeah, I think a particular one um, was with, um, it was, they were describing the neuropathological hallmarks of A D in post-mortem retinas. So it was an in vivo labeling of amyloid beta. And um, it it's obviously post-mortem, so it's a non-invasive biomarker. Um, and they showed um, the presence of amyloid beta in the retina, um, which is different to what we observe in the cerebral cortex, but I just thought it was, it was something different and interesting. Um, the last thing I enjoyed as well was the representation of some rare forms of dementia. So obviously Alzheimer's is common. Yeah. It affects a lot of people, um, but there was mentions of um, familial cases of, of AD, which represent less than 1% of Alzheimer's overall, and then some other atypical presentations of, of AD as well, such as posterior cortical atrophy, which is what I work on back at UCL as well. So I thought everything was, was very well represented and, and varied. It was co- very nice.
1: They, they theme each day of the posters, don't they, I think? Mm-hmm. There's the each yes. Day has, has a, a different... A different theme, the the amyloid one. How were they, were they measuring that through PET? Were they or through? Was that?
3: Um, so this was uh, in retina. So I think it was with antibodies. Oh
1: okay.
3: Yes, and with antibodies.
1: That's well. I, I, again, I think you made the point earlier as well about the idea for better collaborations across diseases. And this, you know, I, we. The, exactly the same point came up yesterday. It came up in two or three podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's come up through some of the blogs we've got. Is the idea that if we're really going to address this, that uh, neurologists and neuroscientists need to spread out. And they need to collaborate with, with people from other areas. And I, I think I'm sure every, as I look around, everybody's nodding. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly where we're going. Well, we're, we're running short of time now. Um, so before we wrap up, there's obviously quite a lot of, uh, I think in the last couple of AICs I've particularly noticed that through iStart there's been fantastic support for early career researchers and lots of events around the fringe to to support people I think there was a talk this afternoon on writing impactful papers and then this morning the Alliance of Women Alzheimer's Researchers also known as AWARE um, did an early career breakfast on mentorship Um, did I think, did you mention earlier before you managed to make that, Nika?
2: Yeah, so thank you, jet-lagged. Uh, I was <laughs> up at 4 a.m. So what 7 a.m. dinner was uh, breakfast. You see, <laughs> still jet-lagged. Did was, it come with
1: breakfast? Uh, it
2: came with breakfast. Ah, really nice breakfast. Uh, very good after the uh, alcohol intake last night uh, was really interesting. So. We were split into small groups, and I sat down with uh, William August from Berkeley and then a few other people, uh, junior researchers and we talked uh, a lot, but uh, I think my main takeaways were that if you are really curious and you're engaged in science, it really, at the end doesn't matter which field you end up in, uh, you might go a bit with the flow because there will be questions you find interesting. So what is really important is finding the right people to work with and that is people who you connect with, have, who meet your expectation uh, expectations and also supervision styles and you meet theirs because that really enhances and then communicating these expectations to each other to avoid any conflicts and mess, because once you're in it, it's really hard to get out of the messy situation. So, yep, I guess I'm a public health sciences. Prevention of conflicts is important (laughs) and can enhance your career.
1: We we did do a podcast, uh, if, if for anybody who's uh, not already heard it, we did do a podcast uh, a couple of months ago on how to get along with your P- how to have a good relationship with your PhD supervisor. Um, so maybe maybe you can tune into that, and, and I'd suggest other people do too. So we I think that's I think we'll wrap things uh, things up there. Um, listeners, don't forget you can visit our website to check out profil- profiles on all our panelists. You can also post questions in our comments section, and our panelists I know are all very happy. Happy to interact with you directly, so please do follow them on Twitter and have a look at their profiles, and do subscribe to this podcast, which is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. And please tag us using the hashtag ECRDementia. Um, I know we're all keen to get away. It's the iStart reception this evening.
2: Yes, I believe
1: so. So we'll all be getting off to the iStart reception now. So that's it for day two. Thank you very much, everybody, for, for downloading this podcast. And we'll look forward to seeing you all again for uh, with a new panel tomorrow for day three. Thank you very much.
0: This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.